Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Winsor Burns, along my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? I'm back. Yes. I'm back. Airhorns. Airhorns. <laughs> man, I've been good, man. Just trying to navigate through life, you know? Trying to follow balance, mm-hmm. as we were talking about before we got As we are talking about. Yeah, Hey, how many times are you gonna use balance? <laughs> man, balance might be the the word of the year, man. Gosh. <laughs> um, but but for this episode today, we have a lot of topics to get into. Um, we're gonna get into a couple of college football topics, um, NFL, NBA, and also some album reviews in the second half. Um, I'm gonna do a review with Trent Morales for for Godfather Part Two. But to start off with, just thoughts on the top four of the college football playoff and who deserves to be the overall favorite. Um, it was revealed last Sunday that Alabama, Michigan, Georgia. And Cincinnati were the top four teams scheduled to play this New Year's Eve. Um, Alabama was able to have just a decisive 17-point win in the SEC championship against Georgia. Um, Michigan beat Iowa 42-3, and Cincinnati won by 15 in the AAC championship against Houston. And it, it, it feels as though Alabama should be the favorite in the manner that they beat Georgia. And Georgia, you know, could get a rematch in, in the national championship if both teams advance. But who would you say should be the favorite in the top four? I think Cincinnati. We we seen Michigan mm. win national championships. We seen Alabama win national championships. We seen Georgia get mm-hmm. close to winning a national championship. Uh, <laughs> but I think close the deal. Close the deal. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Cincinnati, what they accomplished this year, and now their coaches coach of the year, I think it was well deserved. But what they've accomplished with that team, nobody had them on their radar. They came out of nowhere. A lot of teams lost, and they just scooted in. It was like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Pardon me, like they're in the airport. <laughs> and just moving past people. <laughs> Please. <laughs> And they beat they beat teams convincingly, you know. I think yeah, one game exactly. that kind of gave them run for the maybe was Navy, but I mean Navy is not a team to be slept on. And I know a lot of people say it's Navy, but Navy is not a team to be slept on. But I think Cincinnati should be the favorite. They're going against an Alabama team. We're going to see what they're made of. This is what people have been talking about for years. Like when is going to be another team besides the regular Power Five teams in the playoffs or national championship, whatever the case may be. Now they get their opportunity. They deserve to be the favorite because now every, what everybody was talking about turning to fruition, now Cincinnati has a chance to win it all. So I think they should be the favorite. Man, I was not expecting that. I was not expecting wow. Cincinnati. I was, I, I'm, I'm kind of stunned. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, like, do you think in terms of a game going up against Alabama, like it's one of those mindset things of, hey, even though they have the, the history on their side and, and just being so dominant, we just have to go in and play like a like like an A level type of type of game to be able to win, or or is it just one of those things where let's just like let's just keep the 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 run on that that we've had having an undefeated season, even though we haven't been as noticed as the other teams. No, I think we we've seen Alabama get in situations where they lose or they were able like teams have highlighted the struggles of Alabama. Yeah, they beat Georgia. I wasn't expecting them to beat Georgia. I thought Georgia's defense would not allow them any points. They, 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 they believed the hype. But Cincinnati is a high-power offense, and Alabama's defense has been the, the number one struggle this year. I think the offense has put them in situations to be good, but the defense allows a lot of points. And I think mm-hmm. when you think of Cincinnati, you think of their offense. Yes, they just got a, one of their safeties, it's uh, or it was Jim Thorpe Award, or I, I believe it was one of the awards, and 
The defense is good, but I think the offense is even better. And Alabama mm-hmm. can be beat. We've seen that. That we've seen Florida get close to beating them. It came down to a field goal and the Texas <laughs> Yeah, Auburn had a, a chance to beat Alabama. Texas A&M it should, beat Alabama. It should have. So this this is what I'm saying. This is why I don't think it should be a surprise because Cincinnati has the tools to beat Alabama. Now, they did surprise me against Georgia. I'm not going to lie. Their defense played really good. But I think yeah. they're still their biggest weakness is their front seven and a bit of their secondary. But their front seven is not as strong as it used to be with the linebackers. There's no big name linebackers, no big name D linemen on Alabama's team. They're beatable. It shouldn't be a surprise that I picked Cincinnati because they're a high power <laughs> offense, man. Come on. <laughs> what am I talking about? Like, 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 what do I really know? What I Savon's the expert. Come on, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but getting into an intriguing matchup, like the more intriguing matchup, um, you know, the, the, the Georgia-Michigan one, it, it kind of stands out more because when you have a team like Georgia that was dominant for the majority of the season, trying to redeem themselves after a lackluster conference championship performance, going up, in, going up against a Michigan team that, you know, has an elite defensive line with Aiden Hutchinson being the focal point, mm-hmm. it definitely shapes up to, to what should be a really competitive matchup. Mm-hmm. But between the two ones, like, are you going to st- stick with Cincinnati-Alabama or uh, is Georgia... Michigan may be more intriguing. I have to. I know Georgia's going to beat Michigan. They have a chip on their shoulder. I think that yeah. defense realizes they're human. And I, I, f- I feel like they fixed the mistakes. They they were in there. A lot of bus coverages. A lot of, they took the top, Alabama took the top off of them. I think they'll go back to what they do. They'll blitz more. They'll get pressure up the middle. They'll run uh, two high safeties so they won't get burnt over the top again. I think they'll change, change and go back to the fundamentals and they will beat Michigan. Michigan, I don't, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a while since Michigan has been this limelight, but I think Georgia goes back to the fundamentals. That defense will have a chip on their shoulder, and they will do what they've mm-hmm. been doing all season before they lost to Alabama. But I have to stick with Cincinnati because I believe Alabama, they know how to win now, but I think Cincinnati can beat Alabama. You heard it here first. It's, it's going to be a Cincinnati-Georgia National Championship. There I expect go. nothing less. Expect <laughs> <laughs> nothing less. Um, but 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 uh, before we move on, like, like who would be your your Heisman pick right now? Because you know that that that's coming up uh, tomorrow night. Obviously, Bryce Young has has been deemed as kind of the, the top pick. But who overall, like, do you think should be the Heisman um, winner for tomorrow night? Ooh, yeah, I'm I'm going to stick with Bryce. I think yeah. he's, he's had a good season. I think he's he's battled through some some things. I think we he surprised a lot of guys. <laughs> it's clear mm-hmm. to me. I think he surprised me. But I think he's I, I want to say the linebacker, but it hasn't linebacker ever won this award in well, I don't think a linebacker has won the Yeah, for a long time. So it, that's that's what I really want. I think Bryce is gonna win it. I mean he's a clear cut winner, but I think at some point a D uh, a defensive guy like Charles Woodson. I'm, I know Charles Woodson played <laughs> everything from punt return, kickoff return, so he did everything <laughs> to get the Heisman Trophy, but still. But I think at, at some point, a linebacker or a lineman or whatever the case, because I mean, I think Adamakis, she was up for one year, his, his junior year. I think he should have won mm-hmm. it. The guy averaged like three sacks Definitely. a game. But eventually, a defensive guy has to win it, but I think Bryce will win it. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and now transitioning to the NFL and just to start off with just thoughts on the Bills-Patriots game and New England picking up a pivotal road win. And, you know, this past Monday night, the Patriots were able to win by four on the road. And Mac Jones just completed two of three pass attempts for 19 yards as 
the backfield was just dominant, and this is, you know, their seventh straight win. Buffalo, on the other hand, has, you know, you know now allowed 200-plus yards rushing in two of its past three. Um, but what are your thoughts on this just important division win for New England and, and also how Buffalo can get back on track? Because early in the season, we, we really were impressed with how they started off, but now, the, the, you know, they've kind of diminished in, in some parts. Ooh, man, this game was very, very interesting. For the first time in, in a minute, uh, Mother Nature had her hand on a football game. 40 miles per hour win. Um, so <laughs> throwing the ball is not going to be ideal. One team thought it wasn't going to be ideal. The other team threw 30 times. <laughs> I yeah, you know who did it. Like YOLO. Let's go for it. <laughs> Why not? Mac Jones threw it three times, bro. He was like, this is going to be a or you only live twice. <laughs> you only live twice. <laughs> they had to update it. They had to update it. Oh, man, it's crazy, bro. Matt Jones had the easiest football game in his career. Hunt, hand it off. Hunt, hand it off. Hunt. Mm-hmm. I got to throw this time? Wow. It was, it was a Navy game. Man, but I, I, man, I hats off to what the Patriots have done. This year, like mm-hmm. and it, they started off very. Uh, we talked about this before, so I'm not gonna go back to the roadmap. But but let's make the difference between coaches and the other team is how you prepare for Mother Nature, how you prepare for the other team, and how you draft, how you get players. They had three players: Harris, Stevenson, and also Bowden got touches, and they ran the ball so much, and it, it, it kind of had to, it was a pivotal part of the game. Now. I don't know what the Bills is going through, man. Bills were hot. Man. The defense looked good. Hey. Offense looked mm. good. And now they have so many mistakes. It's just like, I don't understand. It's the same football team from last year. The same exact football mm-hmm. team. Nothing has really changed. They got some younger guys in there from the draft, whatever the case may be. But it's the same football team. The same concept, same head coach, same general manager, same little boy, same everything. So I don't understand why. <laughs> They're seven to five. They still have an opportunity to go to the playoffs, but they're behind the Patriots. Something else has to happen for them to be even to get in there. I think a couple guys got to lose. Patriots has to lose out for them to, to get in there. So cross his fingers, but I don't think that Patriots have been the subtlest team this year. They're nine and four. They're sitting on top of their division. Everything was good. This game was a good game. I think it was it was it was the wit of who can outcoach you, and obviously the Patriots. It was fourteen ten, and then you really can't kick field goals. Somebody tried to. No. Somebody tried <laughs> again. Somebody tried it. Somebody Yolo. had to do it. <laughs> Yolo, Yolo. Um, but 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 now getting into just, just Baltimore's offensive struggles and them having you know one of the toughest remaining schedules left. Yeah. Um, the Ravens are coming off a, a one point loss to Steelers last week after a failed two point conversion. And even though they're two, three and two since coming off of their bye week, you know, their last game marked their first time scoring more than 16 points in three weeks. And they haven't um, scored 30 or more since week nine. Um, Lamar Jackson has been inconsistent. The offensive line has also been underwhelming. And when yes. you look at the growing list of injuries for this team, um, the regression has been even you know more rapid due to that. But what are your thoughts on Baltimore's recent struggles and, you know, their <clears throat> defense, their defense experiencing just so many injuries? And I think that's the headline on top of offensive line has been underwhelming. Like you said, this is the first time since his first couple of years, it will be with the Ravens was offensive line has offensive line, excuse me, has been underwhelming. They're based off of, they're a run based team and a RPO based team. 
So if the offensive line is not pushing and getting the gaps and allowing the deep in the running game is not working, the linebacker is not going to come up and open an RPO and give the tight end opportunities to get down the middle of the field or go up to the seam. That has not been happening. There has no been has no push. Nothing's going on with the offensive line. Lamar is still Lamar. He's been playing the same way, like <laughs> since he got into the league and since he's been at Louisville. But it, the craziest thing, we're all we're not always going to get big points from the Ravens' offense, especially this year. I think the highest score they had was thirty six points, then the second was thirty three, and then nineteen, twenty three, thirty one, thirty four. I mean. You know, they're not, we're not going to get this amazing big scoring game. Lamar's going to have 500 passing yards, but they are number 13 in passing offense, and they, they, yeah. they are number three in rushing average 147 points. So the stats tell you different, and, and what you see on the field tells you different as well. But the biggest thing for me is the offensive line. And then the defense is all obviously Marcus Peters, then you just lose Marlon Humphrey. For, for the season, and then Anthony Averitt was another guy who played big men as that cornerback. But I think the defense is still attacked. They're still playing good back, football, excuse me. But it's the offensive line that has something has to change. The offense is based that's on running and RPO. That's where it's got to start. Yes, um, it, it, it really is. It really is clear, clear for it to start at that point. Like in terms of also just when you look at the hierarchy of the AFC, Kansas City, like the. Uh, the they're, they're at a point where even though their offense isn't looking the same, they're still uh, eight and four currently, number one in their division. The Patriots, they're, they're looking extremely good. Um, in terms of like both of those teams, like which one would you say has a better shot or or, 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 or possibly could look better in the postseason without both teams are playing at the moment? Because obviously Kansas City, they've done it for the past few years. But New England with Bill Belichick, even though Mac Jones doesn't have the experience, he's been in multiple um, playoff situations where he can even – game plan against a team's best quarterback and kind of neutralize them a bit. Yeah, I think Patriots have the better opportunity to go deeper because, one, they're showing people how to be subtle, and I, I love yeah. this about them. And a lot of people counted Mac Jones out that he could not lead, but Mac Jones is a game um Game manager. Game manager. Thank you. He's a game manager. He's not gonna. He's not gonna be flashy. He's gonna take what the defense gives him. He's gonna break down the defense a little bit, and they're gonna allow him the running game like he did at Alabama. Now, when the big shot is open, yes, he can throw. He can throw back show. Throw back shoulder. He can do. He can complete those throws. But I think the Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs has. I think people are starting to figure out the Kansas City Chiefs year after year after year. Yeah, you can add in multiple flashy plays, but it's still, I know how to stop Tyreek Hill now. I know if we get pressure on Patrick Mahomes, he's going to get tired. He's going to break down. He can't always throw these miraculous throws on the run or do these side-on throws all the time. He's human. He's going to get injured. He's going to have these things. So I think when you, when you, you think of a team, I think Patriots are all overall all around good team defense and offensive wise. And then look at the moves they made. I thought the Patriots was crazy to get rid of Ste- Stephon Gilmore. You get rid of Cam Newton. You get rid of other players. But now you're nine and four. I think I guess the seventy six are kind of text the guys like, hey, yo, just use this for his trust process. <laughs> got to use it. You got you got to use it. Even even though it will even though it never never work. <laughs> I mean, like you you got you, you still got to use it. It's, it's, it's still it's still a little catchy, um, but 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 now transitioning to the most interesting Week 14 game um, for the NFL: Bills Bucks. 
it, it, it really stands out to me because obviously the Bills they need they need to get a win, and the Bucks that you know they're they're, they're kind of just getting in, back into that um in, in, into the, the the peak playoff form that need that they need to be at to to go on another Super Bowl run. Um, and with this, like with this game, Buffalo, like they're not completely out of, out of the playoff picture mm-hmm. if they lose it or or not able to get to where they want to be. But it's still the type of game that if you want to get back to being in the in that uh, contender contender phase, this would be a very uh, good win to pick up. Um, but to you, kind of like, what is your most intriguing Week 14 NFL game? I'm caught into two games: is the Rams, Arizona, and also Baltimore, Cleveland. But I'm 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 leaning more towards Baltimore, Cleveland one because it's a division rival, it's a division game, and I want to see how the offensive line plays now. Now you're going against another good team who has multiple good pass rushers because they could not block uh, TJ Watt to save their lives. So mm. now you have Miles Garrett who's on that level and then some because he's freakishly large and runs a 4-5. So now you have to go against another good defensive line, another good front seven. How do we change? How do we adapt? It's not, it's only so much you can do with the offense with Baltimore because they're a run-based, RPO-based team. The offensive line has to get, has to be the the, the uh, game setter and trend setter for them to open up things to make the RPO successful. So that's why they always drop the tight ends. The wide receiver get love, but it's also on like, you know, screenplays and stuff like that. So I'm looking at what Baltimore offense can do this game and how the defense would look after Marlon Humphreys goes out, who did not have a good year this year. Just adding that in. He did not have a good year before he got hurt, but I wish him a speedy recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now just to the NBA and just kind of thoughts on Steph Curry about to break rounds all-time three-point record. Um, Steph is now just 10, 10 made three-pointers away from breaking the record. Mm-hmm. Um, when it happens, Curry will have hit the 2000, 2,794 mark in more than 500 fewer games, um, 500 fewer attempts, and almost 20,000 fewer minutes than Allen required. Um, he also finished with six more threes Wednesday night and a 10-point win over the Blazers, um, putting him within nine of tying uh, Allen's all-time mark. But what are your thoughts on just Steph coming up on a major milestone? And do you think years from now, Steph's record will, will, will possibly be broken? Because Draymond recently said in his podcast that he thinks it's only a matter of time after Steph's done playing with how much the game has changed that someone else will have another prime opportunity to, to do just that. I think, you know, it, I, I'm not taking anything with Steph. I'm gonna I'm gonna highlight Ray Allen real quick. The guy mm-hmm. didn't become a three point shooter until probably mid later of his career. The guy was a yeah. sli- he, he did uh, a couple different things, but people don't talk about that enough. No. People just think Ray Allen was this three-point shooter guy. No, he would duck on you. He was shaky. He would do mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff in his, in his early years with the Bucks, Supersonics, all the kids. But Steph Curry, I, to answer your question, man, what a feat for him, man. He's definitely one of the guys who changed basketball, the way basketball is made. You And I, and I, I was on TikTok the other day. I hate to use this. <laughs> I was on TikTok. But I saw this video pop up about how the game changed because when Jordan area and – Kobe era, whatever, before, you know, the guys really didn't depend on three-point shot. The the range changed, so it was always inside the paint, all, you know, doing different things like that. And when Reggie Miller came along, it kind of was gradually changing. But when Steph got in the league, he was doing these amazing shots. Now the game, the big man, that changed the big man. And then mm-hmm. Steph Curry's just it's crazy shoot, man. I mean, he's one of the – I think he's the best shooter. Ever. Oh, yeah. The best shooter ever, man. So what a feat for him. I don't think anybody will come close to Steph Curry. 
record. I think he will be the number one three-point shooter. I think he will be, yeah, he's he's going to be the number one three-point shooter. And I don't think anybody's going to touch that. The things he's done, like... I got I to feel some type of way if I'm scared. Like, I'll be like, Draymond, like, for real? Like, like, like you, you really think it's just going to be that easy? Like, like honestly, like, like, I, I see what Draymond is saying, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, I feel as though Skep has set the, set the bar so high. It's going to, you, you really have to, have to find another shooter that, that shooter that's going to be locked into a certain zone to even get near that point. Right. And, and, and to do it in the way he did it. Like, yes, the, that, that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, that's the difference. I think maybe somebody coming along, along, along the way and make as many three point, but they won't do it like he did it. Don't look away three, the shoot it, turn around, run down the court, or the half court shots to make them look easy. Like, I don't think anybody would do it the way he did it. He will be the first. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man, Steph Curry solidified legend in NBA. Legend. He's, he changed the game of basketball. He's he's one of the many players who changed the game of basketball. He's he's in a room that's impressive because I put Bill Russell in that room. Obviously, Michael Jordan mm-hmm. in that room. Obviously, yeah. LeBron James. I think Kobe was definitely a game changer in the way he did things. Shaq. Oh, Shaq changed yes. the game. Uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, Wilt Chamberlain. To be in that room is crazy, bro. Game changer. That is an illustrious, an illustrious room to be in. What? What? Absolutely. Magic Johnson. Got to yeah, yeah. add Magic in okay. there. Okay, this too many yeah. names, bro. Magic Johnson. Too many names. Yeah, uh, it's so good. Dr. J, because he, he did crazy shots, man. Jumping from the free throw line, man. Come on, bro. Mm. Goodness. Um, but but now transitioning to, to Portland, just major struggles, and, and also Damian Lillard wanting to change as the chemistry is broken up. Um, the Blazers are currently 11 and 15. Um, opposing teams hit almost 39 percent of their triples against them, and the highest effective field, field goal rate in the league is against Portland. Um, CJ McCollum is currently out with the collapsed um, right lung, and Chauncey Billups' first season as head coach with his team has you know turned out to be more consistent than originally expected. But what are your thoughts on the issues Portland is facing, and do you think any moves will happen in the next couple of months? Because, you know, this is a team that, that we talked about consistently as they have one of the best backcourts you can, you can have. But in the postseason, one of the two, usually McCollum, is, is not playing at the, at the pace or, 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 or kind of to the level that, that they need him to to get to, to get to the point they want to get to. You know, man, they try to make changes. And I feel like they try to make changes when they hired Chauncey Billups and then they got rid of Terry Stotts mm-hmm. back in June. And but they didn't get new players or players that was going to help. <laughs> Same type of players, bro. Like having a new coach is fine, it's cool. I think coaches have say, but I think the players are the people there. They're on the court that they, they listen to coaches, but it's up to them to do, you know. So I would rather get some players. And at this point, I think. How many sit downs does Damian Lillard has to have to be like, okay, man, I said I wasn't going to leave. I'm staying. We talked about this a couple years ago because he's the the owner of the Seahawks and obviously the Trailblazers. We have conversations. You still haven't brought any guys in. It's it's hard to be loyal to an organization who don't bring guys in. And a lot of people, I'm I'm a basis of Kobe. Kobe didn't leave because they got him players. Right. LeBron left because they didn't give him players. So I believe Damian Lillard is fed up. And at Mm. this point, he's he's at the breaking point. Oh, for sure. He was at his breaking point last year, I believe. (laughs) 
and I, yeah. and I'm tired of everybody making excuses. So uh, now, I mean, it's, it has something to change. He has to get out of there because after, after he, he's made so many so much money. He's already he's already a rapper. So now he says, "What a championship!" Hello. <laughs> he just wants a championship, <laughs> man. I think, like you said, he's fed up, and it's it's Tom. I think he's, but the I think I was reading the 76ers. They said they're not doing anything. Well, I think they took the 76ers off the table, but he has some good landing spots he can go to, and Trailblazers can get people. Not so they won't be feel like they're just empty handed. Philly's not Philly's just not the team to, to, to do a trade with right now. Philly's not going to take anything. They're, they're not they're not taking anything in the near future. They're not unless I, 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 unless it's near the trade deadline. But but still, I I I really don't don't see anything happening. With no, them. especially with the Ben Simmons situation, and uh, yeah, that's um, yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever. That's just in, it's it's because you just don't know what's going to happen. It's just still like. There's no word on any update, and it's it's the same thing with Brooklyn. Yeah, oh for sure, same thing with Kyrie, and I mean at this point, I think Damian Lillard deserves to go to another organization, but I don't think anything will happen in the next couple of months because it's going to be extremely hard. I think Trailblazers are going to want too much, which is ideal because it's Damian Lillard, <laughs> but I think they were going to want too much. It's going to be the same, similar situation like the Pelicans wanted. Pelicans wanted when they were trying to trade away Anthony Davis. And they wanted too much. I think who 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 did they ask for? Oh, I forgot who it was. They out for some outrage. Like what? Like, bro, come on, y'all asked for too much. Oh, yeah. Remember? I, remember, yeah. I, I, it was so oh my gosh. Like I'm trying to think of the uh, of the, the exact names, but it, it was, it was, like it was two way, it was first round draft picks. It was something else. Man, y'all want the you want the, the whole house yeah, that oh, was and everything. Right. No, I mean he's good, but you want the furniture, <laughs> the, the chandeliers, <laughs> the chandeliers. Man, and I think at some point you have to look CJ McCollum in the eye mm-hmm. and say, "Brother, you ain't what I expected you to be." was Wednesday night in NBA countdown Stephen A said that he literally had a conversation with Dame and CJ and said you guys cannot win together they can't it's not gonna happen they can't it's, it's, it's cold but it's true it's cold blooded but it's true if anybody they need to get rid of CJ get I'm telling you yes shop CJ around they gotta shop CJ around man because they like you said they won't they can't win together they can't Absolutely. Um, but but now uh, getting to our album reviews and to start off with, with Rick Ross's Richer Than I Ever Been. Um, in his latest album, you know, there's a clear volume of, of top tier production. The soundscapes are, are crisp. Um, he shows again that he's just a gifted lyricist and just, uh, you know, a master at picking beats. But what were your, kind of your initial thoughts on this album and just, you know, some of the features that were on it? You know what? I did not know Rick Ross was uh, dropping. Mm. Yeah. So I listened to it today and I, it was kind of a surprise. It was kind of a bit of a bit of a surprise because he like told us like two two week two weeks ago or something. Yeah, like that. I stopped um, <laughs> following a lot of people, so I have not been. I haven't. I didn't know when you when I saw it. I was like, "Wait, Rick Ross got an album?" <laughs> I thought he was worrying about the thighs, bro. Like I thought he was worried about. Nah, we doing oh, we, we doing thighs. I thought so my brother was about the God, but nah, man, I thought like because Rick Ross, 
can get on a song with anybody. Anybody. And obviously it was it was cool to see Wiz, because they haven't collabed in so long. So to see Wiz, see mm. Blix uh on there, Jasmine Sullivan, obviously, Benny the Butcher. Jasmine's we oh, we gotta we got review Jasmine Sullivan's. Oh my goodness. See, next episode, listeners, I I, I failed as a podcast podcast host. We have not reviewed Jasmine Sullivan's latest album from like back in January. We gotta do that next episode. That's on me. That's on you. That's on you. That, is, that really is on me. That really is on me. That is on me. I don't know who Willie Falcon is. That was, oh, Willie Falcon is, never mind, never mind, never mind. I know who that is. But no, I thought the features were dope. I Cause like, like I said, Rick Ross can get on a song with anybody and it will, it won't be terrible. I would say that. It won't be the greatest song. He can get on a song with anybody, but it won't be a terrible song because he's just, that's just who he is. He can gel. His voice gels. His melodies gel. How he and he knows he knows the right the right beats to go with. Like he always true. knows that. And beat selection, production selection is big for any artist because you don't want to just put out anything or be on anything. You sound like um, Beanie Siegel trying to open a can of. Uh... <laughs> Yo, that is crazy. <laughs> I couldn't get it out, bro. I couldn't oh, get it out, Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Man brought up Benny Siegel. He had to win. He just had to. I saw him take a picture with Drake at the concert or whatever. Oh, yeah. Did you have any thoughts about the, the Drake-Kanye concert? It was cool. I didn't watch it. Yeah. It was, it was. I didn't watch it, but I thought. I mean, it was kind of cool, like they were doing it with the reason. Yeah, it was a moment. It was definitely a moment. Yeah, it was. I like that. I still think they're faking it, but it's okay. That's what I, I'm really, and, and not to, to belabor the point, because I mean, it really was a great moment to see that. And Kanye, I, I was able to watch it. Kanye did really play a lot of his vintage tracks, and it was it was cool to like see that side of him again. But it still did feel forced. Like, like I don't feel as though like they're t- they're honestly yeah, that, that hug wasn't convincing. Him covering yeah. 24 wasn't convincing. It was, I mean, he was just doing it. He did his thing on it. He yeah. did his thing on it. But I I, I, still, I still don't feel like, like they're, they're uh-uh. that type. Of. I think they just did it because the OG said, hey, yo, we need y'all. It's the bigger picture. Y'all petty. Y'all need to. Yeah. Let's keep up with y'all really on. not like that. <laughs> OG said y'all really not like that. Because he liked that. No, 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 no. Jay, Jay Prince liked that. So, if because he he's the reason why we ain't hit a diss track. He did for uh Pusha. I wish he would have shut up. Oh my goodness! Oh my, I why did you man. shut up and let Drake man. drop it? Cause how he was talking, he said it was about to shut down. Uh, yeah, everything. exactly. How he was talking like everything. I wonder who heard that. Somebody, some. I wonder how many people heard that. Obviously, his camp and then Prince and then. What if LeBron probably heard it? Cause he said he sent something oh, to yeah. LeBron. <laughs> LeBron definitely heard that. I wish I was in the room. He was making that thing. Goodness. Even Dumpy was like, oh, oh my gosh. Dumpy was tough. No, Dumpy was tough. Eight out of ten. I think eight out of ten was for him. Eight out of ten was fire. Yo, your partners is pressing play. Yo, baby is pressing play. There's some tracks on Scorpion. There's some tracks on Scorpion, man. It ain't a, a, all together, I'm but telling. it's got some trap like Jaded, Finesse, yes. uh, 8 out of 10, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, 
Man, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm chilling. That's like, bro. It's you know what? That album was fire, bro. It's. Can, can be honest? Drake's catalog is just. I'm not saying it's the best ever, but it's bro. it's up there. Like it, it really yeah. is up there, bro. He doesn't miss. Bro. It's hard for him to. It's just like we we gotta recognize, and I know like he gets a lot of criticism, but we gotta recognize his bro. catalog is up there. His his catalog he is has really up there. Programmed us to understand he can't miss. Like even a song yeah. like like I did not like started from the bottom when I first heard it, and I was I didn't like, either. yeah, I didn't either. What? And then we slayer started from the bottom. Now, hey, you you and then the video was yep. funny because he had Ob Ob uh, Ob Brian in there. Oh my gosh! Like it was just put everything together, bro. I'm a big fan of Obi, bro. I wish he, I wish he would kept rapping. Yeah. He had some nice tracks. Um, obviously, he sold one of the tracks to Tanae in because um, Too On Thoughtful was one of his biggest tracks that he sold. And then he had um, Hazelton Trump. He had uh, Steve Nash. Um, Stace, not Stace Scheme. It was a one in the track with him, P. Ron, Drake, and ah, I forgot what it was. But anywho, we're we're getting around, but. Rick Ross. Rick Ross. Yeah. Rick Ross, yes. Back to Rick Ross. Back to Rick Ross. Rick Ross like, come on. Can you just review my album? Like, I've been in collaborations with Drake. You guys talk about him another time. I definitely forgot about Rick Ross in those moments, bro. Uh, but 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 in, in terms of j- just like the lyricist that he is and just how he can always effectively j- just mesh with any any song, like like, do you feel as though it's one of those things, even though, like, like this may not be one of the albums that is, you know, uh, considered one of his top, may, maybe one of his best ones, um, do you still feel, feel, feel as though there were glimpses in the project where you're like, you can still see that top tier, top tier lyricism and just the effectiveness of how we can... Oh, for sure. And I think it's more so now in his later years is storytelling. And the influences he has from Miami and the people that he's met... I think at a certain point, yeah, oh, that's lyricism, say mine. What up? <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's all good. I thought it's you all said good, bars, bro. I'm sorry, bro. I listen to lyricism. <laughs> it's just after a while, because I mean, Rick Ross has bars, but it's just at the point when you become a, a OG rapper and you've been in the game for so long, it's just about storytelling now. And I think mm-hmm. he does that perfectly, and his voice is made for it. It, that's why it kind of it doesn't. Yeah. It, it's not in tune like Biggie, but Biggie was a storyteller. Biggie told stories in ways that no one has done before, and it's he was melodic. He had different ways he approached the West Com. He always started like his rhythm pattern was different. So like with, with Rick Ross, his his voice is the same, similar to it, and how he delivers, and how he he talks from the from the most like from the, like the throat area, like he's. Like it's just it's it's just it's, mm-hmm. it's just immaculate, you know. It's just it's there, you know what I mean. So him, it, I mean, he's always gonna be a lyricist from 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 A to Z. But this this album wasn't definitely wasn't his best, obviously. But I think at the point you just you just right putting out music and a story to tell for relevancy and also just just the story itself because he's talking about a dude. The intro talking about a guy who's the biggest coke. Distributor in Miami. It got 27 years for I think it was 20, 270 mil or 27 or something. I mean, you got 27 years, yeah. 27 so, mil. 
There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, but 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 now getting into Alicia Keys' latest album, Keys. Um, you know this eighth album from her, just you know one of her most ambitious, and goes from just torch ballad to dance tracks, and she just you know spans a decades with ease. Um, on Skydive, her vocals you know flutter over an understated piano melody and, and start cracking beat. Um, is it insane? Is another be- beautifully desolate torch song um, reverie that was just so vintage. And you know this was also a twenty six song double album. Um, the first half being originals as a you know a set of laid back piano vibes as she put it. Then Unlocked was, you know, reworked with upbeat, upbeat drums and level up sound. Um, but just what were your thoughts on this album and just her vision being the driving force for um, its collective work? First of all, shout out to Austin Powell. Goodness, I got I to gotta, I gotta give the shout out. I got to give the shout out. Shout out to him for the saxophone credits. Killed it. Saxophone Killed credits. It. Man, been yes, doing it for horns. years, man. Air horns. Yes, sir. <laughs> Air horns. <laughs> but no, man, this was too long, bro. It it the double that's what I was about to get to the the, the double albums I just don't feel as though I I I, I, I like you know uh, the, the, there were definitely parts of this album that I like but I just feel as though in in today's era with double albums it's just not going to work as well like it can still be respected but it's just not one of those those things you're going to go back to a lot yeah I know you really she ain't dropped since like 2016 yeah she dropped the bonus tracks or whatever. But you ain't dropped since 2016. I know you want to put all this music out, but 26 songs, 26 songs, baby. Yeah, when I checked the the track list last night, I was like, uh oh, it's gonna be a was, long night. I mean, it was vintage Alicia Keys though? It was vintage. Yes. Like I like Alicia Keys' voice. I like what she can do. But it was just like you know, just like Rick Ross was a vintage. His album was vintage. Like it was just him. It was his authentic self. Like that's what we expect from him, and that's what I expect from Alicia Keys. But I mean, it wasn't like a blown, a blown, blow me away type, type vibe. It was, I mean, it was Alicia Keys. That's mm-hmm. why I feel from it. Like, and it was too long. How does Nori get the Alicia Keys interview? Come on. How, how does Nori keep getting these interviews? Because it's Swiss. Come on, come on, man. Because it's Swiss. <laughs> Nori, Nori gets everything. Nori gets everything. All right. No, you <laughs> lied, though. Let's go on my podcast. I don't respect, I don't respect it because he lied about the Drake thing, bro. The, Man, no, no, you, you, you that's, my, that's my one. That's my one thing, man. If if you had the interview, you, you <laughs> just keep it on the wraps. Keep it on the wraps. Keep it on the wraps, man. And that's probably what happened. He was like, "Oh, we got Drake coming." It should have just been a surprise. Because Drake, Drake does, not do does not want you to publicize it before it happens. He does no, not want you to publicize it before it happens. No, absolutely not. Post, even post it, post, it after, post it afterwards. Exactly. Even with um, when he went yeah, to the battle rap thing. No, no, no. Oh, the water uh, thing. Nobody knew he was going to be there until he got yeah, there. Yeah, he just showed up. That was so, smart. Exactly. Like, don't. No. Because he do. He can't, do let, can't let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, you can't. You got to do things subtly, man. You, he, but he probably was drunk because all they do is drink on that podcast and clap. <laughs> all they do is drink and clap. <laughs> That's literally it. That's what I do. <laughs> the funniest thing, though, the funniest thing, like, Nori asked some of the funniest questions because when Kanye was on, he, Kanye was saying that TSU was his favorite song off CLB. And Nori was like, wait, you talking about Certified Love Boy, right? I'm like, Nori, what else would he be talking about? He wanted to make what? sure he wanted him to say it. Certified Love Boy, right? He's talking about Certified Love Boy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, but, but in terms of Alicia Keys, just overall, in terms of just what her catalog and what she's been able to do, like when you look at her now, because obviously, you know, we're covering two artists that are in later parts of their career, also mm-hmm. with Rick Ross, what are your, what are just your thoughts on what she's been able to do, and also the point of, the point she's at in her career at the moment? 
she's she's obviously she's solidified and what she can do. I think her elements on the piano and the range she has and the different melodies she can create and the people that and she writes all her music and and she she collabs sometimes, but most of her song, her hit songs, is all from her brain, all from her mind. Like it comes from her. So to be able to be a singer and songwriter and musician and all this other stuff, it puts you in puts you in a realm of that's unheard of these days. It's unheard of. Even her mm-hmm. doesn't write all her music. I think Mariah Carey is one of the few women who's who still is active, who write all her music. Has never got a song from nobody like it, it puts you like we said with Steph Curry put him in a room an illustrious room same thing with um Alicia Keys and then her like her bops man like she's 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 timeless her music is time you don't know my that sample is crazy that goodness. sample is crazy my goodness I didn't know that was a sample yeah but it was a sample from uh, I was an old group I saw them on Soul Train <laughs> And I was like, "Oh, that that sounds familiar." Oh, Uh-oh. and then it, it, back. it was a it was a, the sample for "You Don't Know My Name," and then you got "Most Deaf" in there because I'm a big fan of "Most Deaf." Like, "Most Deaf," most deaf straight, man. Boy. That man is underrated. He is it's underrated, crazy. bro. From his freestyles to like, man, "Most Deaf," man, "Most Deaf" is just "Most Deaf." That's the one of the finest names ever for a rapper, "Most Deaf." And Black on Both Sides is still one of my favorite albums. Just oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Black on Both Sides. It's, it's, it's just golden. Yeah, yeah. It's he's, golden. He's definitely, he, he's definitely one of those real hip-hop, like, man, yeah, Most Def. We got to review one of the Most Def's albums for yes, sure. Yes, definitely. Um, but now transitioning to, to Adele's 30 uh, and just thoughts on how her sound has developed compared to previous albums. Um, in her latest project, you know, she sounds more fero- ferocious, alive, thrown feelings, and, you know, shaping them into complete songs. Um, you know, you still have tracks that that cover heartache, motherhood, and loneliness, um, which are also addressed. But um, what were your thoughts on Thirty, and, and and did she show you any development or expansion of her artistry in this album? Because Easy on Me got the thumbs down. Easy, easy on Easy on Me got the thumbs down for you. But but did 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 this album show you anything more in terms of what she's done in the past? This whole album was booty, bro. <laughs> oh my god, this album was booty, bro. I never was a big fan of Adele. It's only one song I always listen to by Adele is Hello. And then okay. um okay. it because they got they added the other stuff to it. Yeah. And they added I'm talking about with the poom, 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 all that on there. Not just with her rolling D by herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this mm-hmm. album was booty, bro. Yeah, she can sing. Yeah, for sure. But this ain't my cup of tea, bro. Like the songs just don't do it no, for you. No, 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 no. I I don't see what people are what the hype is on her. To be completely honest with you, "Hello" was a dope song, written well. It was delivered well, perfect, perfect <laughs> song. It's hard to treat that song. But all these other songs, bro, I'm not with it. <laughs> Swear feeling it. No, not at all, bro. And I feel like in your voice, you feel kind of stuck. I'm not stunned because if you did like Easy on Me, I feel, feel, yeah. feel as though you weren't gonna like the like like this overall project mm-hmm. because it, it's just one of those things where I feel as though I did like this album because I feel as though it, it divert like like some of some of the tracks uh, that she had on here. Uh, one of the ones being uh, 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 oh, oh my God, and Cry Your Heart Out. I feel as though that was a different pace from like just kind of the mellow type of tone that, that she usually has, and and that's what I was trying to say from her. Was she just gonna like go through a straight run through like she did with Twenty Five? where it was a great album, but it just wasn't 
it, did, it didn't have any upbeat tracks. It didn't have it, 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 kind of kind of like any diversity in the track list or or just the soundscape. And I feel as though like this album had a, had a little bit more of that. But in in terms of just, just, just kind of like when an artist doesn't have that type of it kind of may, maybe any tracks that that stick with you. Like, can you just kind of tell from the jump or maybe like through a couple times listening that the, the album just isn't going to do it for you? It's the first listen. Because, mm, yeah. you know, I listen to the lyrics. I try to listen to the lyrics first, to be completely yeah. honest with you. That's why I try to listen to it. I try to listen to what the person's saying. And then I listen to the beat, the production, and how her, like, what her hook sounds like. It's just like, I, I try to dissect the album. Like, you can tell, like, before you even do that, you know a song is going to be good in the first 30 seconds. And Tim and, yeah, Tim, and Timberland said the same thing. He said, "If it don't catch me in the first thirty seconds, then it ain't, I'm, out. I'm out. It's not gonna. It's not gonna do nothing for me." So, like, I'll give you an example. Summer Walker's first song, I was hooked. Um, obviously, not the Let's too. Uh, you, you were a big fan of that. Yeah, album. I love that album. That was, it was fire. Yeah, I'm talking like um, absolutely. Mm, back. What's uh, what's the X for a reason? I obviously I didn't like that, but no love. I instantly knew I was gonna like Ooh. that. I instantly knew I was gonna like it that. Off. It went off on that track, my goodness. And I was like, "Oh, okay." You can tell, like your your ears will tell you if you're gonna like it or not. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, I mean, that's what I, cause my ear, I guess my ears not don't like Adele, cause I was like, oh, "Okay, all right, this is." It was kind of, it was kind of tough to get through. Yeah, it was just, it was just Adele. It was just. Yeah, that. exactly. Like it wasn't like anything different. It was just like to me, it's just Adele. Like I, I really didn't vibe with it. Like I'm gonna tell, like yeah, my ears didn't like it. I only gave it one listen, one listen through. Man, didn't even give it two. No, bro. I tried give to give Rushcom two. Um, what's the song that she released that she should have never released? We were just talking about it. Easy on me. Easy on me. She should never release that. And some people love that. I'm surprised by that. And that do. is the thing. A lot of people like that track. A lot of people like that but track. You know what's crazy about this entire thing? No one has been posting Adele's album. That is true. Yeah. That, that tells true. you the difference if it was really good because everybody was talking talk about Summer Walker. Resharing it. Yeah, and then everybody was talking about Adele's interview, not interview with her, a live performance where she was talking to the crowd and stuff. Yeah, that's different, you know, whatever, because she's funny, yes. she's a, her personality is amazing, yeah, boom, boom, boom. She's got great personality. But nobody yeah. was posting her album or posting specific songs that they like. That should tell you something. It, 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 if it can stand the test of time, people are going to be talking about it a lot. They're going to be resharing a lot, and that, that kind of is like... Um, that, that 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 is a telltale sign. It, it, it's just how people are receptive to it. But um, now, just transitioning to SZA's um, "I Hate You" review and just thoughts on how this builds hype for her next album. Um, this new single from her is just you know candid and was previously on SoundCloud when uh, she debuted there in August. Um, it had kind of a, a neo soul and an alternative R and B feel to it. Uh, her vocals on the chorus are, are more ethereal in, in the verses, and she leans more into just a traditional R and B delivery with with clear hip hop influences. But what were kind of your initial thoughts um, of this single and, and also j- j- just kind of the hype that, that's kind of coming up with her next album? She should never release this as a single. You didn't like this? I liked it. I liked okay. it. But, but it's not a single. It's an album song. Yes, it's an album she, song. I don't know if she pushed this to release it because it was on SoundCloud for a reason. And whoever finds it yeah, finds it. it. 
Because back in August, she released like three other tracks, mm-hmm. three, three other unreleased tracks. She was trying to get the ball rolling in terms of her creative process. Now, the the one I really wanted her, her to release was the one that she always has on yes. TikTok. That's the hit. That's the hit. Holding that. That's what we need. Holding it. And that's, that's, that's no, good. No reason. That's smart. Yeah. Everybody wants it. So when the album comes, that should be like the between the first, number one, or fourth song. It should be number one, two, three, or four in that in that realm. So you'd be like, oh, okay, that's the song I'm looking for. We got to find it. But this song was not a, a single song. I don't know if she pushed it because TDE is very tight when it comes to releasing yeah. songs. So if she pushed it and it was like, okay, man, just release it. Like, you, we're getting tired of you because she's been doing this for a while. They have not released any of her music because they're trying to, I guess, preserve her and drop her at the right time, which is smart. But for the for an artist, it's very smart. For artists, you just want to get your I'm music out. You this song is going to flow really well in the album. It it's going to flow really well in the album. It's out. It's an album song it has for sure. To. It's, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's simple too. It's a, that's why I was like, it's not a, a single song. It's a simple song. It's, it's, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's simple, but it's not a song you're going to play over and over because it's, 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 it, it has to flow well with another, another track. You got to hold hand, hands across America type vibes. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this song um, is. We gotta hold on to another song. It really does. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, for her second album, obviously, uh, Control was just a phenomenal yes, body of work. Like, like what, what, what do you want to see in that in this second project? Um, in terms of just maybe something different, or, or maybe a, uh, just a continuation of what Control was, because that is still j- j- just one of my favorite albums overall in the last few years, and really has to the test of time. Just be her, man. That's her music is dope. Like she's different. She's different R&B, and she killed her feature for Summer Walker, and then that TikTok song and her other songs that she's uh, she released uh, this year. I'm thinking last year. They're good songs. Those were single songs for sure. Good days is a fire yeah, single. Those are single songs. This wasn't, but I I just I'm just ex- like when her album comes, bro. I'm gonna be super excited, super super excited, and I want that TikTok song to either be in that realm of one through four. It has to be. If it's later, then it's going to mess up the whole album. But I think if, if it makes sense, I think they're trying to... That song is amazing. <laughs> man, man, that, that song is amazing. So now you have to figure out other songs to surround that song. And I think I Hate You is definitely one of those songs that surround it. So mm. that's the foundation of the whole entire album. Now it's going to be extremely hard to kind of make that flow around this one song. So that's probably the hold up. Yeah. An assumption, though. Definitely. And, and, and um, we, weren't, we weren't able to, to talk about this last week, but there was the tragic news of Virgil Abloh, um, you know, the, the, the multi-talented fashion designer dying um, uh, at 41. And, and many will be remembered uh, for his for, for his genius, sense of irony, just how he challenged, found, challenged uh, fashion status quo. But just kind of like, what were your thoughts on that tragic news and, and, and the legacy that he left? Because he, he was... So tied with the hip hop community and also just the fashion world in general. Yeah, I wasn't really familiar with him because I'm not that big into fashion, but I knew who he was because of Kanye, obviously. And then he was one of the first yeah. black 
uh, males to to head up <laughs> a white company when it comes to fashion. But I, it was just looking on the post from Twitter, from Instagram. Everybody loved him. Everybody was showing love that he was just this genuine great guy. And when you get that mm, yeah. surrounding love from everybody, no one had any malice towards him or said anything bad about him, and that, that was really dope. But I looked at some of his designs. Yeah. Dude was he was he was phenomenal when it comes to fashion. That was crazy, crazy yeah, designs. He was, he was definitely incredible with fashion and what he was. So he sounded like he was an all around great person, man. It was it was sad to see. And then Demaris Thomas passes away as well. Yes, gotta acknowledge that that as well because because that is just a tragic loss, you know. Uh, part of a Super Bowl winning team with the Broncos. Like, that's another thing as well, because he's gone way too soon. And obviously, will we, we, be remembered for the success he was a five time Pro Bowler. But j- 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 just also, what were your initial thoughts on the legacy he, he had as well in, in his career? Yeah, man. He was came from that Tebow era, man. The the the, the post mm-hmm. route that in the overtime to make them go to the second round of playoffs. Yeah. And him yeah. and just becoming a household name after that. And then he kind of fizzled out after the, you know, his later years, obviously. And then his the, the story about his mom and all that good stuff. And she's finally saw him play. It's just like the overall, you know, goodness of it. I don't know how you passed away. Don't really care how you passed away because that doesn't matter. He's, you know what I'm saying? You just want to just yeah, 33. Yeah, think about what he did while he was on here and how great he was and how much of a good team player he was and Tim Tebow coming out and other guys coming out and showing love, man. It was it was definitely a surprise because, you know, I woke up, it was like, Demarius Thomas. What? Yeah. Mm. 33. That's a tough yeah. age, man. Very young. Very, very young. Yeah. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our review of The Godfather Part 2. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into a review of The Godfather Part 2, and I'm joined once again by special guest Trenton Morales, a good friend of the show, has been on countless times. Thanks so much for being back on, man. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Happy holidays. Hope everybody's doing good. Wellington, yeah. Savon, even though Savon's not with us right now. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, I hope everybody's doing well down there, and I uh, hope everybody has a good Christmas season. Absolutely, man. Definitely. Well, um, to start off with the overview, The Godfather Part 2 is a 1974 epic crime film produced and directed by Francis Ford Coppola from the screenplay um, co-written with uh, Mario Puzo, starring Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton, Robert De Niro, Talia Shire, Morgan King, John Cazale, uh, Mariana Hill, and Lee Strasberg. Um, it is the second ins- installment in the Godfather trilogy, partially based on Puzo's 1969 novel, The Godfather. And the film kind of serves as both a sequel and a prequel to The Godfather, um, presenting parallel dramas. One picks up the 1958 story of Michael Corleone, played by Pacino, and the new dawn of the Corleone family pr- protecting the family business and the aftermath of an attempt on his life. And the prequel covers the journey of his father, Vito Corleone, played by De Niro, and from his Sicilian childhood to the founding of his family enterprise in New York City, um, had a budget of $13 million and brought in 48 to $88 million in the box office, nominated for 11 Academy Awards at the 47th Academy Awards, and became the first sequel to win for Best Picture. Um, and Six Wins also included Best Director for Coppola, Best Supporting Actor for De Niro, and Best Adapted Screenplay for Coppola and, and Puzo, um, but to start off, Trent, like, what were your initial thoughts on this film and also it being one of the rare sequels that lived up to the original? Yeah, man. Well, so first of all, what you just said was really surprising about like what the bo- what the box office brought in. I mm-hmm. I could I could easily like if if that movie was released today, that movie's probably breaking in hundreds of millions of dollars. So many, so many. <laughs> like, so uh, many and, and of course, I'm sure if that's we, low. That, that's actually low for, for this type of movie. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it obviously cleared, you know, it cleared the profit line, all that kind of stuff. But like, 
but I could definitely see like if that was released today. And of course, and if we if we adjust the numbers via inflation, I'm sure it's much higher. But but mm-hmm. that's kind of surprising. Oh, it's only brought in that much, <laughs> but hey, here we are, you know. So but uh, you know, I, I think you know. So the Godfather was always one of those movies that you know, if you're any kind of like fan of like you know of cinema, you just recognize its place in kind of the, the history of 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 like mob in gangster movies uh, mm-hmm. as you know, basically uh, you know, to 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 use the phrase we're using the godfather of all these movies you know um yeah. it is it, it is the quintessential like look at what it means to have an organized family who looks at crime and and uses it to their advantage um you know of course you know taking it now uh with you know so I, I well it's a you know this but I, you know so I, so for those who don't know i live right here in atlanta i'm a I'll staff at a church right here in, in Smyrna, right outside of Atlanta, and I'm surrounded by all these creatives who do artwork and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. you know, when you when you sit down with people like that, you talk movies with them, it just begins to really shift how you see movies, and you can mm-hmm. just kind of pick up like the storylines. You pick up how they shot things, and it just really kind of stands out above all others. It's, it's, it's no it's no different with The Godfather, uh, even though we are now looking at you know 50 years removed. From when those movies came out, um, they are still high quality entertainment, uh, and also too because I mean a lot of the people we see in these films are still acting today um, in, in yes. films that we've watched. I mean, you think about, of course, Pacino; he is a you know a legend in Hollywood. Uh, Robert Duvall; he doesn't act as much as he used to, but he is a classic actor. Bonafide legend. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. And uh, you know, Diane Keaton; she's been around for a long time. Um, and of course, so it, it, it was almost kind of like the passing of the torch from like Marlon Brando to Al Pacino, as far as like, you know, Marlon Brando, who had this so, you know, a substantial run of movies to then transition to a new kind of age. Um, cause like, you know, Pacino wasn't a young man whenever he filmed this, but you know, but we still get films from him today. And uh, honestly, of course we see that a lot of this kind of built around the same thing. And of course we can't forget De Niro. De Niro is... Is yes, a picture as well too. This is an underrated performance from De Niro. Absolutely, really is absolutely. I mean, and, and you see kind of that transition. Um, you know, as we as we go into you know the more of the questions of this film, you just really see how he kind of emboldened that character even more to eventually what we would see in the original Godfather from Marlon Brando. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to start off with with our, with our first topic from one of four stars, what would you give it? Um, this, this is definitely a clear cut four star film. The the strong performances from Al Pacino and Robert De Niro that were on display along with Francis Ford Coppola's continuation of Puto Saga just set new standards for sequels that that really haven't been surpassed yet. Um, but to you, Trent, from one to four stars, what would kind of be your particular rate, rating and some of your reasons? Yeah, yeah, uh, four stars for sure. And and I think it, it kind of goes into what you just said, Will. It's in that it, it stands above on its own as far as a sequel goes. I think the only the film we always reference and talk about is be The Dark Knight. I think that's the the only the yeah. sequel that stands out in my mind that really stands up above all of like, oh yeah, this actually followed up his princess pretty well and potentially even surpassed it. I don't think I don't think the Godfather Two surpasses the original one, but it certainly does not stand That's what I was about better. to ask you. Yeah. yeah that, that was that was a question I wanted to get to because mm-hmm. so that is like one of the most like divided questions I hear from movies is which one would you take, part one or part two? Mm-hmm. A lot of people go with part one because it has like it literally has some of the most memorable scenes in, in, in just movie history. Absolutely. Obviously, the the, the um 
the 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 coronation where where Michael visits Oof. um his his, uh, his 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 godson and yeah. all of those killings are happening like like that scene right there is just up there with, with some of the best ever and you have so many moments there where it, it it's like pivotal just turn around moments that that really just changes the trajectory of that series. But like, do you feel as though the first, like, like, what would be your particular reasoning for like giving the first one the edge over the second? Because so many people have just kind of like had that that circulating question for years. Uh, I think I think it's because like you know you, you just don't know what you're getting yourself into whenever you pop that movie in for the first time, right? Like yeah. you, you you just I mean from the opening shot where uh, yeah, in fact for Cockrock the opening shot is like you know Don Corleone in his study just sitting there really dimly lit room just beginning to you know kind of handle business and then and you see you kind of bounce back and forth between like a wedding party and then like going back to do business and you know, having people kiss the ring and asking mm-hmm. for favors and all. I mean yeah so I think the first one's going to stand out for me because like it, it sets the tone for what you get in Godfather 2 that you know exactly. you, you, you get you get kind of the pacing of how things are happening you get an idea about how the business is supposed to happen everything is is built off of the groundwork that Godfather 1 lays but again, like I said, Godfather Two does not stand in the shadow. Though. It stands on its own, and it will. It's a great film in and of itself. Uh, but it's certainly. I don't think yeah, I would still give that edge though to Godfather One. But absolutely, though, four stars for the Godfather uh, Two, um, and just because of how it handled itself on itself uh, on its own. Definitely, and now getting into a favorite character. Um, me personally, I would go with Vito because it's just really mm. fascinating, fascinating to see Vito building his olive oil empire. He's very inventive, motivated, and, and formed into a ruthless killer. That that that's one of the the main things that I like about this movie is seeing the younger version of Vito. Um, even though he's not in the movie as much as as Michael is, and the, and the attention is not on him, I thought it was really fascinating to see just how how he was able to build up his empire and really kind of start the origin story of it. Um, but so you kind of like who would be your your favorite character in particular? You know, uh, I, I mentioned I mentioned his name. We're talking about you know actors in this film or whatever. But um, you know, Tom Hagen has a special place in the series, and you know he, mm-hmm. um, you know, as we'll as we'll talk more about this. You know, Michael, I don't think he appreciated how much Tom did for his father, as far as like keeping things kind of even keeled and yeah. and just handling business. Whereas Michael seems to be a little more ruthless in what he does, Tom is just kind of that even killed person who's just going to move. He's going to make sure the contract's signed, make sure this is done, make sure that is done. Um, you know, I, I'm all about the people who are kind of behind the scenes, quote unquote, but making things happen on the forefront. And you know, Tom kind of stands out about that. You know, he's you know he's obviously not afraid to get his hands dirty, but he's obviously kind of that forefront. And he is kind of that shining light that kind of helps preserve the Corleone family. Like you think about you know, the courtroom scene in this film um, when uh, when uh, the they, they bring they bring in the, your guy's brother and and obviously the court is befuddled by the testimony being revoked. And he immediately says to him, says, "Okay, now it's time for you to make it right." So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's just you recognize that he definitely holds a place in this film. And he's in these films, and and it's all about like preserving that what they have built as far as the empire goes. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so Tom Hagen, he always stands out to me as far as uh, as far as characters go. Absolutely. Um, and now getting into into most memorable scenes, um, I had uh, my offer is nothing, where Senator or, or Gary tries to string arm Michael, but the threat fails to work. 
Also, the murder of Don Fanucci during the Italian fiesta. Vito murders Don Fanucci in his doorway. Um, You're Nothing to Me Now, where Michael banishes uh, Fredo from the family, both in business matters and as a brother. Um, It was an abortion. Really one of the most just uh, emotional, heavy heavy scenes. Even uh, being able to see that last week, it was just, it's still such a gripping scene where where Kay informs Michael that her miscarriage was in fact an abortion. Um, Sicilian Revenge, where Vito returned to Sicily to honor his dead father, Antonio Andalini, by taking revenge on Don Sicio. And finally, If History Has Taught Us Anything, where Michael and Tom discuss um, the possibility of assassinating Hyman Roth. Um, uh, and also Fredo's death and the Corleone um, family flashback at the end. But uh, overall, maybe what was like a couple or maybe just one memorable scene that uh, that you had from this film? Yeah, um, and and of course, you know, for those of you who have not watched The Godfather yet, this is a three and a half hour movie, so there are so many scenes you could choose. So many, (laughs) and I probably missed out on some too. (laughs) (laughs) um, Man, you know, it's it's one of those scenes that. It, yeah, there's just so many moments that really hinge uh, and, and really kind of drive this story. Um, you know, that opening scene where, like, you know, the senator is chumming it up with the Corleone family and basically just like, oh, man, you, you, you're just, you, you're trying to, you know, you, you're doing all this good and all this stuff. And, and obviously the turn happens so quick. And once they get mm-hmm. inside the house, like, okay, I'm not here to play games with you anymore. Like, and yeah. he basically thinks that he's going to kind of strong arm Michael into this, what he wants. And Michael's like, basically, you're just going to give me what I want. And then, of course, what we see later on is that this senator is caught in a, in a nasty little situation where a, um, you know, a woman is killed. Um, and it just, <laughs> it's like, okay, basically everything that the Corleone family wants is now at their disposal because... Like I said, Tom, of the situation you're in. Yeah, of the situation <laughs> you're in. You're going to give us what we yeah. want. And Tom exactly. Hagen is there to make sure that happens. So uh, it's a little sidebar real quick. I, I, I do want to say this. I do think that watching this now, and, and it's also a byproduct of the the climate we live in as far as, you know, how we treat women and all that stuff. I, mm. I think there are definitely elements of this film that we would. It did never, not age well. It did, it did not yeah. in terms of, in terms of that part. Yeah, that, exactly. that was very yeah. Yeah. cringeworthy. Exactly. I mean, I think there are there are aspects of this that that did not age well at all, and I think we would definitely not see that in today's you know broadcasting of the film. Um, but also too, you know, you have to we, again. We always understand that they're they're a victim of the moment, right? They're a victim of the time they live in, where yeah. you know they're very well could have been this is how they were treating the women and their families and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the the, the scene with, like, uh, Kay leaving her kids that last time. Oh, goodness. Just, and he comes in and closes the door. Right, just closes crazy. the door on her. Um, I mean, just a brutal scene as far as that goes. Um, when Vito takes out the boss of his, of his community, just, you know, amazing. And he... Yeah, d- dissembles the gun right there on the rooftops of his city. Um, even like the uh, the moment where um, yeah, it, just just kind of the mirroring of what we see of like Vito comes to New York and he is all alone, has nobody with him, and all that kind of stuff. I think it kind of mirrors who Michael is, you know, like exactly. at the in the the Corleone family throwback scene. Like he is, he is left at the table all by himself when he tells the family he enlisted in the army. Right? He is all, he's kind of the outsider. He's kind of the outsider yeah, of the family. Right? He is. He but he is also all alone 
at the compound by himself when mm-hmm. um, uh, when they killed Frida and uh, Frida. It's like it's just all these different moments of like you know you have all the success you want, you have everything you want, and you're the most lonely person in the whole room. And it's just a and it, it just it just it, it shows us that you know power, wealth, fame do not supplement whatsoever. And, and it honestly gives you kind of a, a twisted view of what quote unquote family looks like. And yeah, at the end of it, it, it I think the, the line that best summarizes it, like, you know, Michael, do you have to kill everybody? No time. I don't have to kill everybody. I just got to kill my enemies. Well, if, if somebody looks at you wrong, are they an enemy to you? One then? of the best quotes of the film. Right. One are, of the best are, quotes are, are they an enemy Goodness. to you then? And, but they, but th- yeah. this all plays into these scenes. I mean, you can almost kind of conflate our, you know, your most memorable line <laughs> to your favorite scene because it mm-hmm. all plays in together. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and now getting into most memorable quotes, um, I had uh, I didn't ask who gave the order because it had nothing to do uh, with business from Hyman Roth. Um, also, keep your friends close, but your enemies mm. closer from Michael Corleone. Yeah. Um, also, I know. Was, I mean, to this this honestly, like I think th- th- this is the scene I should have picked. But when he says, I know it was you, Fredo, you broke my heart. Uh, oh. You broke my heart, Fredo. Yeah. Uh, that was just, I mean, just top tier. Um, also, I suppose I always knew you were too smart to let any of them ever be true from Kay. Um, I'm your older brother, Mike, and I was stepped over from Fredo. Then finally, if anything in this life is certain, if history has taught us anything, it is that you can kill anyone from Michael. Um, to you, to you, kind of like what was like the, the one quote that, that stood out above the rest in this film? Um, yes, I definitely think that um, the, uh, the quote that Kay, between Kay and Michael, when she tells him that he had an abortion, number one, there was just a, there was an honesty behind that conversation that we often do not see in today's world where she just straight up said, I had the baby killed. And it just, it, it hit so hard whenever I saw that, you know, for the first time, but also even like most recently, like it just hit so hard. And yeah, just the way that she just said, I refuse to have any partnership with you from this day forward. And it goes back to the beginning of the films. Like, Michael, you said in five years, the family business will be legitimate. We are now here seven years later. Like, that anger built that moment right there of where she's, she refused to carry any more children for Michael Corleone. And that it just, like I said, the brutal honesty behind that statement really stood out to me and will forever... Like I will always kind of appreciate how they wrote that um, because yeah. it just really kind of conveyed the the heaviness of that moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and now getting into kind of like, what did you like the most about the storyline? And, and, and to me, just seeing the origin story and, and kind of the, the, uh, the origin story of Vito and contrasting that with just kind of like Michael's, um, his kind of his prime years, but also how his prime years were becoming some of his like, just most maybe most emotionally draining because at the end of the movie he's just he's sitting there on, on, on a bench outside just contemplating everything yeah. like th- that has gone on and you can just you can just see how much it, it's taking a toll on him and kind of like aging him at the end of the film um but but to you in particular what did you like the most about this storyline yeah it's just a, you know it's just a continuation of it and i think that um you know it, it is a it is a microcosm of what it looks like when um, when a younger generation looks at the older generation and says, I don't like what you did, I'm going to take, I'm going to do it a different way. Um, but but often what ends, what ends up happening is that we end up going so far above and beyond what the older generation did that we end up kind of leaving ourselves in the sense, like you said, 
lonely that we we end yeah. up all alone we end up unsatisfied with life we end up losing the pieces of life that we so that we so cherish and hold on to um and it's it's just striking so um but you see that i mean you know where, where Vito had this kind of reserved like methodical way that he would do stuff not, not saying michael wasn't methodical i think he was methodical but he was methodical mm-hmm. he was methodical with his brutality and what he did so where, where Vita was a little more reserved and could keep the peace and was all about how do I take care of those, you know, like you see, once he comes into power, he takes care of the neighborhood. He's not so focused in on this, on like, you know, on the people who are most close to him. Whereas Michael's obviously driven by how can I get more? How can I do that? I mean, he's going, he's going international with what he's doing, you know, by yeah. being in Cuba and all that kind of stuff. So, but where my, and then Michael, when he kind of gets to, he just goes so far and over the top that he's willing to do whatever it takes to mm-hmm. to get people in there to get him what he wants. Uh, he's willing to kill whoever, cut off whoever, use whoever. I mean, you see the the, the play back and forth. It's like ping pong. Like, oh, Ryan, I know you. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, I know you did it. Uh, oh, Frito, I know you did it. Um, you know, this. I mean, back and forth, back and forth. He's, he's playing all these people against each other to eventually get what he wants, and he gets that. And it still leaves, it still leaves him all alone. So, yeah, it's just a uh, – um, yes, I, 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 that was my big takeaway this second – like this, this most recent viewing I've had was that it's so interesting to see that of like where one generation decides they want you – know, very successful in what they do, and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. I want this. This is what we're doing. But then the second generation is like, you're too reserved. You're too withheld. You're actually not as progressive as I want you to be. So I'm I'm right. going to go above the top, and in doing that, though, they end up hurting themselves even more. So definitely. Um, and, and before we get to our, our last topic, singers from now, like, do you still think it will be watchable and intriguing? I, obviously, like, like, with, with this entire trilogy, I mean, the 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 the, the third film came out much later. Yeah. Um, isn't one that uh, that really gets talked about as much because the first two were, were just superior films. But if there's like a particular character in, in in these three films that you would say was kind of the 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 defining one, like which one would you go with? E- either from the first one or second one that you feel as though kind of like really defined this the entire series and was maybe the standout character in both mm, films. Let's see. Uh, that's, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look at this real quick. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting. You know, when you see, you know, characters like, I mean, like you, you think about someone like Ty, uh, Tyla uh, or, or Connie, uh, the, the actress who played her, uh, Tyla Shire, shout out to, uh, uh, yeah. uh, uh, shout out to, uh, to Adrian, uh, being in the film. So, mm-hmm. but like, yes, yeah, pivotal, pivotal yeah, character she, in both of them. She, she's a microcosm of, of, of this film, of these two films. You know, she is. She is what the actual family feels like of just, you know, of the sense of like panic and anxiety, but also try to live within the means of like what this family is. Right. So we see the first film. She is, you know, with this very abusive person who is just, you know, mutilating the life out of her. And of course, we know her brothers really handle this and is sort of holding a fiasco in of itself. Right. Um, and in this film, like she seems to have her head on a little bit straighter, but yet it's still like she's still under this thumb and pressure where now she's like trying to live a life for herself beyond the family, 
trying to marry an individual. And Michael's like, you will not marry this man. If you marry this man, you have no place here. So like, even in the midst of it all, this, this demand of loyalty that's placed upon her just squeezes the life out of her. Uh, now, of course, she also makes her own choices where she chooses to leave her children behind. Um, but, but yeah, I just think that her character is like a microcosm of what this family feels like. That you could have the, illust- the illustrious you know, lure of everything, but also, too, you could just be crumbling on the inside because you have no kind of compass of life whatsoever. So uh, that, that was definitely just off a dome. I just, had a, I just found a character on IMDb. Yeah, I, I was like, but, but it worked out pretty good. So that's great. That was a sporadic question. That was a sporadic question. But 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 I really did feel like it, it, it's an interesting conversation to have because there are just so many like pivotal characters. Like even Sonny from yes. the first film. James Bond, um, yeah. He, like he, yes, uh, a, a phenomenal performance he gives in the, in the first one and really just has, uh, he, he, he has a major temper but he also he also is the type of person that that wants to look out for everybody, wants to be the, the protector in the family, even though he's in over his head in a lot of situations. Um, but but getting to our last topic, ten years from now, do you still think this will be watchable and intriguing? Mm-hmm. It, it definitely will. We, it are, surpasses, we are fifty years into this; it's absolutely still watchable. Yes, <laughs> in so many ways, so yeah. many absolutely. Yeah. But 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 for like, and I and I guess a different way to ask this question, like for the next generation that is going to see this film and be introduced to it. What do you think w- will be able to kind of intrigue them in it? Because obviously the performances are just timeless. The the, the, the direction and cinematography is is pinpoint. But what do you think will kind of in, in, in reel in or or, or 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 just be able to impress the next generation as they're able to? Yeah, see I mean, you, you think about. I think you just mentioned it well. It's about the cinematography, the cinematography piece of it all. Like the way this film is shot, like you know, if, if you ever watched The Godfather for the first time, you might be like, "Man, what's wrong with my TV? Like, why is it why is it look so dark?" <laughs> um, but but that's yeah. you know, reading up on this film, that that was the intentional purpose of the guy who shot this film that he wanted it to appear dark because of the dark dealings of this family, where they try to step into the light, but there's also a lot of darkness on the inside of it as well. Too. So um, yeah, I think there are absolutely elements of it. It's going to be you know, come down to casting. Uh, because you know th- these are defining roles for everybody who was in this film. You know, these are defining roles for them. You know, they so so w- when you go in that career career right. defining roles that that, that exactly. changed all like, their I mean, before before the Irishman was a thing, it was the Godfather. You know, so you so mm-hmm. you, you you never wanted to you know just think that you know something that you saw because I mean a lot of what we see today and this is it's the byproduct of this humanity. You know, we rarely get anything that is truly, I mean, truly original. You could have an original story, but it's obviously going to be, a, you know, um, a chip off a block of something else, right? So, you know, when people, you know, see, you know, gangster films in, in the future, or they see different films like that or whatever, or just crime boss families, people are going to think about The Godfather. Or they're going to say, hey, if you like this, you should go watch The Godfather because that's the pinnacle right there, right? I, 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 yeah. We we wouldn't have a we wouldn't have a Goodfellas or Casino if we didn't have The Godfather, totally. yeah. and, and, th- and those movies yeah. are just as good. But but I mean, still, if you if you didn't if you didn't have the film like The Godfather, we wouldn't have even those other elite mafia type. Yeah, exactly. Type I mean, it, it obviously it obviously. I mean, you, you can even see elements elements of it in like The Departed with Martin Scorsese. And how yes. you know he, you know how he portrays like these different levels of crime activity that are going on, you know, can really kind of bleed back to the Godfather and how 
you know, you have all these different people who are playing in these organizations that are then once again, you know, kind of pushing forth the efforts of this family and it just, nobody could stop it. So yeah. So at the end of the day, it's all going to be about, you know, what, what is your niche? Like what really draws you to this? You know, if you, if you enjoy good thorough storytelling and just kind of seeing kind of the undoing of something, you're going to find it in this, right? You're, you're going to find that in this film. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of the exactly. day, just watch. This is good movies. So It's just yeah. good movies to watch. It's just good movies to watch in general, in, in, in general, honestly. Um, but, but, but Trent, it has been an absolute pleasure as always. Thank, I mean, j- just this entire year with oh, all, the, all the fun, reviews uh, uh, that you were able to be on. It has been yeah, such absolutely, a pleasure, bro. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a you know, joy. It's always a joy to to hang out with you guys at full scope, and you know, just uh, yeah, I really applaud the work y'all are doing, and just being consistent, and just you know, just you know, I, I know you guys are looking for fame, and you're just having fun with this, and that's that, that's what that's what yeah, keeps me coming back. It's good to have fun with you guys. Definitely, I appreciate that so much. Well, that wraps it up for today. I'm Hills Winston Burns. This has been Full Scope. See you later.